Welcome to CenterPod Podcast. This is the AI voice narration of Miscellanea, Understanding the War in Ukraine. This week, I want to break from our usual format and respond to the fairly unusual global events. I expect a lot of my readers are trying to get a grasp on what is happening right now in Ukraine and in my own experience the traditional news media often struggles to adequately explain complex issues that go beyond simply describing events. So I thought that, as a professional thing explainer, also known as a teacher, who also, as a military historian makes an effort to follow these events as closely as I can, I might try to explain some of the elements of the conflict, particularly questions I've seen pop up on social media. Thanks to A Great Divorce, our kind reader narrator, this post is now available in audio format here. I should note of course that I am not a Ukraine or Russia expert, though as a military historian I am at least a little familiar with both the history of the region and also the IR and military theory that guides a lot of the decision-making. And of course, since I teach on warfare, I try to stay well-read on current conflicts. While I am not an expert here, I will reference people who are. If you just want to tune this out, well, I'd ask you not to. This is important, even if it is painful to watch. But if you'd rather be reading something else, my analytics tell me that you'll still mostly haven't read my analysis of Thucydides' fear, honor, and interest, which is actually quite relevant here, or the three primary source analyses on medieval military aristocrats, Duoda, and Tara ibn Shaddad, and Bertunder Born, which are much less relevant here. And finally, if you want to support what I'm doing here, well, this week, support something else. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is almost certain to create a refugee crisis both within Ukraine and in neighboring countries. Consider donating to Ukrainian aid organizations like Razem for Ukraine. You could also donate to the UNHCR or other international aid groups and charities that support refugees. There are going to be a lot more refugees that need help and they will need your money more than me. For those who instead want to support the armed forces of Ukraine itself, Army SOS raises funds to supply Ukrainian soldiers with much-needed equipment and the Ukrainian army itself has a crowdfunding page. I also must note that I wrote this during the day on the, the 24th of February 2022, with some light editing in the very early hours of the 25th, so it reflects what I knew as of then. I have tried, where applicable here to indicate where there are points of real uncertainty in unfolding events, especially when it comes to the course future events may take. Confidence about outcomes in war is mere delusion, but some outcomes are more probable than others. All right. Onward. I am not going to pretend to be neutral here. I am on the side of the nascent democracy which was ruthlessly and lawlessly attacked without provocation by a larger and more powerful foreign power. First, we need to clarify some terms. NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, a mutual defense alliance between the United States, Canada, and 28 European countries. NATO members commit to mutual defense, but not mutual aggression. Neither Ukraine nor Russia is a member of NATO. The government of Ukraine has expressed some interest joining NATO, but was, even before this conflict, unlikely to do so any time in the foreseeable future. Joining NATO is quite intentionally a slow and careful process, so it is not possible to crash-join a country into NATO in an emergency, nor, for reasons below, would you generally want to. The Donbass is a region of Ukraine north and east of Crimea, which borders Russia. It contains two major regions, Donetsk and Luhansk. 
Russian-backed separatists in these regions attempted to secede from Ukraine in 2014 with substantial Russian encouragement, when they proved unable to gain full control, Russia supported them directly. Russia has continued to maintain these two breakaway republics, though the majority in both regions oppose secession. There has been an active front line and continued fighting there since 2014, the fighting kept going almost entirely through Russian support. Why is this happening? The short version is because Vladimir Putin wanted it to happen. The long version requires us to ask a different question. What does Vladimir Putin want? This can be a confusing question in this context because Russian President Vladimir Putin and the Russian Foreign Ministry have given multiple conflicting and in some cases mutually contradictory answers for why they are proceeding as they are. Indeed, just 10 days ago, a spokeswoman for the Russian Foreign Ministry announced that the Russians were standing down and leaving the Ukrainian border, a statement that is now a quite transparent lie. Moreover, the Russian government also engages in different communications to different people, an ethnocentric, nationalist message in Russian to Russians, Ukraine isn't a real country, but a softer, diplomatic message to Westerners, we're concerned about NATO, mixed with lies and manufactured attacks on Russians. How do we untangle the lies and try to get at the truth? First, it is important to note that declaring war and invading a country in the real world is not like in a video game, in video games, you declare war with a button press and immediately move forward. You can make the decision to attack and be attacking in moments. In the real world, the kind of military operation Russia is engaging in requires months of preparation and planning. Thus while the go or no-go decision may be contingent on events that occur after planning begins, the conditions which would have resulted in a Russian invasion of Ukraine were likely decided on weeks or months ago. What were those conditions? Well, the best way to get at Putin's war aims is to look at his statement of war aims. This past Monday, Putin claimed in a speech that Ukraine actually never had stable traditions of real statehood, and that its creation was a mistake dating back to the organization of the Soviet Union in 1917. This claim is nonsense, Ukrainians had attempted to gain independence before being violently forced back into the Soviet Union, but Putin, and many other irredentist Russians, appear to believe it. That view, that Ukraine isn't a real country and doesn't deserve independence, but is rather something like a wayward Russian province, thus informs Putin's stated war aims, given in a speech on Wednesday as the initial assault began. Putin claimed the objectives of the special military operation were the demilitarization and denazification of Ukraine. It is of course necessary to note that the idea that Ukraine has a Nazi government is a farce, for all of its considerable problems with corruption, Ukraine's current government was democratically elected and while Ukraine has historically had a problem with antisemitism, its current president, Volodymyr Zelensky is Jewish. But to demilitarize a country means the complete destruction of its armed forces, which would of course then render that country perfectly vulnerable to further military coercion, while claiming to denazify, the government essentially requires dismantling the current system of government and replacing it. In short then, demilitarization and denazification is a deceptive, roundabout way of saying conquer. Putin's state goal is the conquest of Ukraine and the installation of a pro-Russian government there, or perhaps integration into the Russian Federation, something that, during a televised meeting of Russia's Security Council, Putin's own security minister suggested was on the table. Which, to back up, means that Putin decided, probably months ago, that he was willing to use armed force to install a pro-Russian government in Ukraine, toppling its democracy. Given that goal, it seems profoundly unlikely that any diplomatic solution offered by the West or Ukraine could have avoided this conflict. 
It also means that many of the other offered pretexts, while they may speak to Putin's frame of mind, seem to have been secondary if not entirely red herrings. In particular, Putin's offensive operation is utterly and absurdly excessive for what would be necessary if his goal was only to secure the separatist regions in the Donbass, instead his offensive seems aimed at the Ukrainian capital in Kiev, c. 300 miles away, with an airborne assault on Kiev's main airport in the first 24 hours of his offensive, which failed. More broadly, of course, the claim to be protecting people in those regions is nonsense, as noted, while there is some support for secession there, it is not a majority view and prior to Putin's, lawless, annexation of Crimea in 2014 and subsequent decision to back separatists there, and support them with UN-uniformed Russian troops and weapons, the area was peaceful. The Donetsk and Luhansk republics, one is left to assume, were manufactured entirely for this purpose, to be used as an excuse to attack the rest of Ukraine, must the way Putin has also used South Ossetia against Georgia. Indeed, Ukrainian forces were sufficiently restrained, even now when there has been a hot war in the Donbass for eight years that Russian forces found it necessary to manufacture fairly transparently false attacks to justify further intervention. The other such pretext was Ukraine's supposed failure to hew to the precise conditions of the Minsk Protocols, two ceasefire agreements negotiated in 2014 and 2015 which were ostensibly to stop the fighting in the Donbass. The Russian-backed separatists there have not honoured any ceasefire so negotiated, despite the fact that, as formulated the Minsk Protocols are extremely favourable to them, because they were negotiated with Ukraine under the threat of an ongoing direct and quite illegal Russian intervention. It is also the case that Ukrainian implementation of some of the provisions of the Minsk protocols has been uneven, but not entirely absent. However, late in this crisis Ukraine indicated that it was willing to go back to the Minsk protocols, Russia responded by recognizing the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk in a blatant violation of the agreement before invading. Once again, if the Russian concern was legitimately Donetsk and Luhansk, an invasion of the rest of Ukraine would be fairly obvious.